listening to the Testudo Times Podcast, the official podcast of SB Nation's Maryland Terrapins Colossus. Welcome to episode 148 of the Testudo Times podcast, where we'll start by asking, where were you on January 19th, 2008? I'll say I was probably still very angry about Dennis Northcutt on that day. That was the Jaguars-Patriots divisional round playoff game in which the Jaguars could have beaten the Patriots that day, and then Dennis Northcutt dropped an easy ball, and the Jaguars had no chance after that. That was when I was in middle school. I was in eighth grade then. Surprisingly, the Jaguars' playoff drought was shorter than the drought of Maryland winning road games against ranked teams. So, Thomas, where were you on that day, if you can even remember or want to remember? Yes, I mean, that would have been a Saturday. I was in fifth grade, so I was probably playing, like, MVP baseball or something. Oh, okay. Okay. I definitely I, – I didn't watch college basketball that year, I don't think. I think I got into it the year after. I got into college basketball and bracketology when I was around fourth, fifth grade. So, it makes sense. And I don't know where Justin was. Where were you, Justin? I don't know, Saturday, probably rec basketball, and then who knows after that. I know I wasn't watching Maryland basketball that day. I was not interested in any particular one team, even though I tried to sound smart every March and then ended up screwing up. That was the year of Kansas-Memphis, 2008. Yeah, I will say for See, certain that Testudo Times did not exist. Testudo Times did not exist at that point. It, it must have not been much later into the future, though, that it did come into being. It was summer 2008. Summer 2008, so there you are. Yeah, I talked to Dave Tucker about this, and yeah, so that last night was the first of the Testudo Times era. <laughs> That's a crazy thing. It's been 11 years. Justin, what were you See, I, I remember not the last game where they won at UNC when UNC was number one, but I do remember the game the next year at home against UNC where Vasquez dropped a triple-double and Maryland pulled off another upset. I don't remember specific Maryland games, although to give you an idea of how long we've been doing this show, I remember talking about this when we previewed the 2015-16 season with Eric Hayes, who was on that team that won at the Dean Dome the last time Maryland won at a ranked team. And I remember saying in that show, I did not go back and listen to it, but I do remember saying in that show, what does Maryland have to do to beat a ranked team on the road? And that was now, what, three and a half years ago? So that gives you an idea of how long this, this gag has been going up. And we were seconds away from it not ending because that game was bizarre. So there are a lot of things you want to get into, Thomas, with that game particularly. We'll, we'll tie in some of the story from Michigan, too. Uh, Maryland had another awful first half and yet somehow was winning. On Saturday, it was, how the hell are they down by only nine? This makes no sense. College basketball is stupid. And then in the second game of this, how is Maryland winning by four? This sport is stupid. Yeah, I mean, the I'll be honest, the Iowa-Maryland winning by four makes so much more sense than how they were only losing to Michigan by nine because Iowa was missing its shots as well and then and also turning the ball over. Maryland never forces turnovers. Um, Maryland kind of got hot from three, ended up making, like, I think six of its last 11 in the first half, and... All of a sudden, that you know, that's 18 points in a pretty low-scoring game. That's more than enough of a difference. Um, it's funny as you say that because, I mean, I was missing open shots, but on the broadcast you'd hear constantly, I was playing great defense, I was playing great defense, and then they shoot their season-low percentage. So I don't remember, and I'm not going to criticize announcers here, but 
I didn't hear much about, oh, Maryland's playing good defense. I know some of it's Iowa's missing shots, but Maryland's defense, again, Iowa's not a bad shooting team, and Maryland flustered them just as much as they looked bad to start the game, too. Oh, no, Maryland did a lot of very good things on defense. I mean, Tyler Cook, to finish with as quiet a night as he did, even with as loud as those points were, I think all of his points came on dunks, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah. Like, and loud loud dunks um but mm-hmm. for for him to be quiet and for jordan bohannon and joey's camp to be pretty quiet for most of the night that's a real testament to to maryland's defense if they played really well on defense and they got just hot enough on offense to look like they put the game away but here's the thing, Justin, with Maryland in second halves, even when they're playing well, the other team always has a run. This happened against Wisconsin in a much more, you know, glaring fashion. But that team, even if Maryland's playing really well, always has a run. And this one kind of didn't happen in slow motion like the others did. It happened really fast, but you could feel that it was going to end up happening. It's like when Iowa started taking those things, you knew they're going in. And it was like Maryland just switched off for a second, and that's all it took to see an 11-point lead go away. I mean, yeah, but you can say the same thing for any team that travels on the road in any conference. I mean, look, look at last week, Maryland plays Purdue, ties the game, you know. It's pretty close until the end, until, you know, Maryland wins by 14 points. So you kind of expected Iowa to have that one last push. Maryland kind of weathered the few that Iowa had tried to make with, you know, a clutch basket or two. But you know, like you said, it was just kind of a blink of an eye, you know, some sloppy turnovers that Maryland hadn't committed. They started to, you know, mess up a little more on offense with that. You know, we can all point to the, if Maryland had lost this game, that 10 second violation, which at that point of the game, no matter how young the team is, but dealing with the press all game is inexcusable. But I think when you guys were talking, the biggest thing to me is, you know, if Maryland had lost this game, that's, kind of a season deflating loss you know you're up double digits eight or nine for most of the second half and then to see Iowa come back and rally especially at home could really you know kind of get the season going south but now I mean you know they only won by one but you know it's enough to breathe and just reset going forward so it's funny how that win now that it's a win defines the season in a positive way and it almost really doesn't matter what the, how they won. It's just that they won, period, even though that was the most Maryland way to win a game. Uh, more interesting things to get to, Thomas, from this particular game. Uh, another game where the Bigs did nothing in the first half and did enough in the second half. Bruno Fernando had a great second half of the second straight game after doing basically Zippo in the first half. But the other thing that I'm noticing now, and I want to talk about Aaron Wiggins is it's a very unique role he's carved out to basically now be the guy who hits threes to stop runs. In every single game recently, he hits a three to either key a run or stop a run. It's really interesting that that's become his role, but he's playing it really well. Yeah, Wiggins is like an offensive stopper. You know, you have defensive stoppers guard the other team's best player and whatnot, but like an offensive stopper, you don't see that often, but he's the guy that they seem to be going to to like stop these runs or you know, try and get something else going. Um, because if he's square to the basket, he's, you know, that's a high percentage shot for him. And, you know, he, he had, he didn't have like a great game. He was three for 10 from the field, three of seven from deep, but those, those three were all big triples. 
And yeah, I mean, Bruno Fernando in particular, I tweeted this out. He had, you know, two points in the first half. He was on his way to just, he was really quiet throughout the game. And then he has Maryland's last four points all in huge fashion, finishes with 11 and 11, gets the game winning tip in. And, you know, all of a sudden he's, he's the story at the end of the game after Iowa did so much to take him out and Jalen Smith was quiet all game. Um, yeah, I mean, it's the second straight game because this happened against Michigan as well, where he was scoreless in the first half and finished with, I think, 12 and eight. Um, most of all of that was in the second half. So, you know, Bruno Fernando in the last few games has, has really come on strong late if they get a full 40 minutes of him going forward or, you know, 35, however many he actually plays. Well, I think what they're trying to do, these other teams are desperately trying to stop him. Because when you go and watch Maryland on film now, you'll notice Anthony Cowan's not playing nearly as well as he has been. Both the February hasn't been great for him, and Bruno Fernando's been the key to a lot of this. So well, that's the, well, that was a th- big thing about last night, was that Cowan finally broke back out. He did, and even though... He missed some open looks, and his shot wasn't great looking. He did finally break out. I think that was the biggest story. You're right. And I was going to get to that, but, I mean, to finish the point, they're keying in to stop Bruno Fernando and, to a lesser extent, Jalen Smith. You can kind of, with other teams, you can kind of bully him around a little bit more than you can with Fernando. You could get Fernando frustrated, for sure. And once you take that away, it's on Mark Turgeon to respond. And they went with a lot of four guards last night, and it actually kind of worked because the ball was moving, the shots were good. And they were doing what they start to do, which is they're not a great three-point shooting team, but when they get in the flow of their offense, it's hard to stop them when they play like that. And that was what keyed that second-half run when they were just flowing on offense with four guards and Anthony Cowan hitting shots obviously helps. But that's an important story going forward, Thomas, for this team, if that could continue. Yeah, for sure. I mean, Morcell's defensive versatility has been – really the big story the last few games to me is that we, it was pretty public what he did to Carson Edwards and how in his grill he was and how much he frustrated him. But last night he guarded Tyler cook who is six, nine two fifty, and did a pretty good job on him as well. That is, there's not a lot of players in the conference in the country that can guard both of those guys. Cause they're such different players at everything and you know Marcel he doesn't score a lot he's like a sneaky decent shooter like he's still 37 38 percent in Big Ten play from three but he's still not a shooter and but that right there is why he's still in the lineup and why he's still getting minutes Oh, he's going to be the most important player for Maryland, you could argue, down the stretch. Because when you play teams in tournament play, you need to take away their best option. And Daryl Morcell is the guy that is going to absolutely take away whoever the best option is for whatever team they play in tournament play. Uh, Justin, let's get to Anthony Cowan. He had not been playing well in recent games. In a couple of them in the wins, it just didn't matter. Maryland was getting scoring elsewhere, and it was really noticeable when they lost. In this game, he finally started playing better. He was more assertive. He was hitting shots. And he was doing a lot of things that you needed him to do. And so if Maryland could get actual Anthony Cowan and not the 60% version of Anthony Cowan they'd be getting throughout February, again, it changes the dynamic of a team because, as we mentioned before, 
teams are trying to take away Bruno Fernando as the key of Maryland's offense, which is a wise decision. But if Anthony Cowan's playing well, then you can't do that because you're going to leave a shooter open. No, it definitely does. They definitely do need him to continue to improve. I think this game is a step in the right direction, kind of getting that three-point shot back and really kind of, you know, sparking the team, at least in the first half, he had some big shots. The offense came alive, still was not as, didn't finish well around the basket, but you'd have to think that will come as he continues to get more confident. And I think like you said, the big thing is, you know, Cowan has to get going because if Cowan's not going, who else on this team is really going to drive? I mean, Marcel can, but he's much better in transition. Wiggins has a pull up and will drive some, Ayala, same thing. But if you can have Cowan, you know, get back on track and at least be confident that something good's going to happen when he drives to the basket, whether it's, you know, worst case scenario, like a miss last night with a tip in or, you know, getting fouled or a layup that has to pull the defense out and spread it out more, which means you can't just pack in on Fernando or Jalen Smith when they're on. It really, it could really open things up if you start to see the Anthony Cowan maybe saw it throughout the month of January couple more things on this game, Thomas. The first thing I want to mention is that I don't want to talk about refs all the time, although, unfortunately, I'm going to be spending time talking about refs later uh, with another Maryland-Iowa game. Uh, Jordan Bohannon, it's the second straight Maryland game. He's complained about the refs. Iowa did end up getting more fouls called on Maryland than Maryland got on Iowa, and some of the officiating late was uh, uh, sketchy. I think one where Cowan got more of the ball than he did the man with the reach-in little bit dicey the out of bounds play with Wiggins also dicey it's really funny now Thomas how we're getting all these complaints about refs but mostly from Iowa in these Maryland Iowa games I guess it would have been louder on the Maryland side if they had lost even though the refereeing was not quite as good as you'd like to see yes Maryland was on the wrong end of it I think some of that was the way that they played but I think that was funny right because <laughs> as I said we'll get to another Maryland Iowa game with officiating that I have more to say about that but aren't you finding it ironic that that's the second straight Maryland-Iowa game where Jordan Bohannon's complained about the refs? I got to be honest, I kind of expect it from him at this point. <laughs> as, so as soon as that shot missed, I felt like I knew he was going to complain about the refs postgame. That was, and if you call a foul on that. Just the way that he shot that because out. he. He was looking for a foul, which yeah. is stupid. Why would you do that at that position when you have five seconds left in the game? You can run anything you want. Yeah, that was questionable. That was preposterous. Also, it could have been a makeup call for the Cowan play a couple of sequences ago, which I didn't think was a foul, but that was called. So, again, give her. Yeah, I mean, there's a lot going on. I think it's one of those that, you know, Maryland got a little bit of the benefit of the doubt on the one, you know, call in the last second, but Iowa got benefit of the doubt on a lot more calls throughout the game. So I would say it probably evened out, if anything. But eh. maybe, possibly. I, my I favorite wasn't comment driving though, to the basket as much. And my favorite put... comment from Bohannon was that Cowan should have fouled out in the first half. Again, like we're we're starting to reach the point where um, we're getting to the boy who cried wolf here. I'd love them to play the Big Ten tournament so we can hear him complain again. Because as much as you know, fans complain about refs, and I try not to do that because that's bad. But yeah, to hear that, that's a little bit silly. And of course, that was the game last year where Fran McCaffrey got tossed for, you know, screaming about the refs. Some of those calls were not great. That was also the game that Bruno Fernando ended in Iowa, dude. I think it was Nicholas Bear, but I don't remember. That was that, Nicholas Bear who hit the go-ahead basket last I know, night. which was hilarious. Back I think from it, the dead. 
I thought that that was back from the dead. Yes, he was revived. Uh, other things about this game. I read an article on The Athletic today from one of the Iowa beat writers. I'll give you the headline. I have a subscription to The Athletic, so I could do this. If you don't, I'll give you the idea. Is Iowa-Maryland already developing into a legit Big Ten rivalry? And I'm thinking, what the hell is this? But I think it's probably because Iowa-Maryland's had the most flashpoints of any series, Thomas, that I could remember for Maryland in the conference because you have the, the poke on Mellow Trimble, the eye gouge on Mellow Trimble. Then you have the game the following year when they were both in the top 10, which was actually the first top 10 game ever at Xfinity Center. Then you have last year with Bruno Fernando ending Nicholas Bear's life until he was revived magically. We need to figure out who did that so we can uh, ask him about the elixir of life. And then this game, which, again, Jordan Bohannon complains about the refs. It was an interesting game, I think. It was one of the better games of the night last night. Is that a real rivalry? Is that a thing that Maryland fans are going to, you know, we come at it from one perspective. It's a, is it a thing that Maryland fans are going to, you know, get up for? Because I don't really think it is. It's just been happenstance that these games have kind of meant something, right? Well, there are a few teams in the Big Ten, to me, that the games have been generally pretty fun. I was one of them. Uh, Purdue and Indiana are actually the other two. Like, most games between those teams have been close and have been interesting, and at least one of the teams has always been really good. See, the thing is, with, with, the, with the Indiana games, there's the 2002 history that at least plays some role. Maybe in the back of our heads it does. And Purdue, they've just been the best games. Like, if you surveyed 100 Maryland fans, they wouldn't tell you who they dislike the most of the Big Ten. You'd probably get, you get, well, maybe probably about seven different answers. You might not get Penn State in there, but, I mean, maybe Iowa goes up to the head of the queue now. I mean, I think just as far as on-court chippiness, that's the, that's the team that's gotten the chippiest with Maryland. and It also might be that the ref complaining thing spices it up a little bit. Yeah, I mean, Jordan Bohannon is a very hateable basketball player. Let's, I'll be, I, I I'll think, be honest. I think here, here's beyond it. Let, let, actually, you bring up the point. If he was on any Carolina team and Maryland was in the ACC, maybe not if he was on Wake, but if he was on NC State, Carolina, or Duke, Maryland fans would give him the runaround if that game was at Xfinity Center. They roast him. Oh, absolutely. But since it's Iowa, it's kind of just, eh, it's Iowa basketball. I mean, but they, they went full You Are Ugly on Jared Utah. That's right. So, they did do that in that game. Yeah. That's like, right. That happened. To the point that he had his worst game of that season by far. That was, that's right. You're right about that. You know, I, I called that game for MUC, so I should remember that, but I didn't. Yeah, I mean, there have been, there've been some flashpoints in that series. As I said, it'll be very interesting to see if they play in the Big Ten tournament. Could end up being a 5-4 game. So I would be fascinated if that ended up happening. But we will see it down the line. Another 5-4 could be Maryland-Wisconsin Part 3, that would which be I'd another, also be down for. That would be fun because, the game, again, the games with Wisconsin in recent years have been better and been interesting. Yeah. Is there anything else, Justin, from this game that you wanted to mention? I think that the, the other thing that... I, I noticed from this game, other than some of the other weird stuff that happens with like fouls and whatnot, is you you watch this team play against a bunch of different defenses. Iowa threw everything at them. They threw a press. They threw zone. They threw man. And Maryland largely played okay against it because you would be worrying Maryland can't play against zone. Well, they started hitting shots. They can't play against the press. They didn't do that badly against the press. One of their more infamous tournament losses in recent years came against a team that was pressing. So I think that's a good sign because in the tournament you could face everything in a span of three days and 
the fact that Maryland played really well against all of those defenses was a good sign. See, it's funny you mentioned that because I'm sure if this was a live, you know, Facebook live segment, you'd be getting about a thousand angry Maryland fans that you Mark Turgeon's teams don't, don't know how to execute against the zone. But yeah, that's true. I think it, I think the thing that stuck out to me was just more that this, you know, of all Maryland's defense, it hasn't just been a fluke. Like it hasn't been a one game thing. If you look, I think really since the Illinois game, you have that one stretch against Wisconsin where the batters kind of woke up from three because they're just a solid offensive team that Maryland's defense has really gotten much better than where they were at the beginning of the season, especially in January where against Minnesota, Mark Turgeon admitted he went to zone because his team couldn't guard anyone. I think that's really the biggest thing is if you look, I mean, in March, if you're a top team, you're a top team, you're going to be solid on both ends. But for a team like Maryland who, you know, has that ceiling to be able to make a deep run, but also, you know, going out the first week and they do have, you know, their defense to fall back on, which could be really, really crucial, especially in the postseason when you get in those, you know, you know, big, big 10 where you're playing consecutive days, you know, NCAA tournament of a day off. So I think that's the biggest thing stuck out to me is that Maryland's defense is still strong and it doesn't look like it's going to go away. Well, the other good thing is about it is that they can win ugly because these couple of games recently have just been awful. At the same time, Purdue and Indiana did not play a basketball game. I don't know what the heck that was, but it was – Arms got roasted. The Indiana AD had to send a letter to students over their email saying to stop doing profane chants at basketball games. Surprised that hasn't happened in America. I think maybe that was maybe, – maybe those profane chants were actually at Archie Miller. And another time in, in history, we'll go over and just laugh at how bad Indiana has been this season, because that's hilarious. But, Thomas, to, to try to wrap this up all nicely, uh, through this stretch of death, Maryland went 3-2. and two. No one can complain about that. Three of their final four are at home. Two of them are against teams they've already beaten comprehensively on the road. One's against Michigan. They will not play as badly as they did against Michigan last Saturday. The road game is against Penn State and I really hope Maryland doesn't take them lightly because Michigan lost at Penn State and Maryland has not played well in that gym for whatever reason. But if you had told Maryland fans that at this stage of the season they'd had five conference losses and four of them are on the road against the best teams in the league, Purdue, Michigan, Michigan State, and Wisconsin, I don't know how any Maryland fan wouldn't have said, sign me up for that. Absolutely. I mean, and especially this, this stretch of death, which they entered pretty poorly. You know, they had just lost to Illinois, which, like, looks a little more explicable every day. I, I would say it looks less bad. I mean, if you if, the, if that game was played at Xfinity Center, I mean, Maryland probably doesn't lose. But Illinois has gone from doormat to, oh, I hope we don't screw up because we could screw up against them. You yeah, know? I mean, they're, they're, uh, they're just a dangerous team to play. They've got athletes. They've got hate playing them in oh, tournament, but also next year. I'm gonna be terrified for Illinois games next year. I think they might be like legitimately good next year at this point. I thought they were, yeah. you know, a year, two years away until they played Maryland. I'm like, well, maybe, maybe they just started now, and they did. Turns out, and then they did <laughs> end up having it be a fluke. But for for that stretch of four out of five on the road, four out of five against ranked teams to go three and two is really everything you can ask for um it keeps them in fourth place it keeps them 
in in very good position for a double bye. They're almost a lock for the NCAA tournament at this point, provided they don't like fall out of the sky. Which even then, happen. I don't think that they're going to miss the tournament at this point. I think that Iowa win is pretty much a lock that they're in now. Yeah, and so just, so just with that point, this could have there there was a real possibility that this stretch went very poorly, and it didn't. Maryland fought through it. Yes, they lost twice, but they bounced back both times. You can excuse losses at Wisconsin and Michigan. I mean, yeah, I mean, at the moment, the at the moment, they're frustrating. But to, when you step back and look at it now, they're, you know, they were expecting both of them. Yeah. There's nothing Those wrong teams are good. That. As I said, their only inexplicable loss this season is Illinois. That's the only one you could say legit that's inexplicable. Every well, if you're going for the season... Seton yeah. Hall, maybe. Well, they just played poorly, and that game ended up waking them up. But it's not like Seton Hall's a terrible team. But No, I mean, and none of them are terrible teams. Illinois is okay. I mean, Illinois and Seton Hall are the games you, like, probably shouldn't be losing. But every team that's not top five good has a few losses that are like, what the hell? Kentucky lost to Alabama and also lost to Seton Hall. So yeah. unless you're Duke or Virginia or Tennessee, you're not losing, you know, you're not winning every game. And beating everybody. And so what this does for this stretch, and we'll get to that a little bit more now, three or four at home, all of the games are winnable. I'm not going to say Maryland's going to win them all, but they, if you told, ask them in the room, they would tell you we should win all these games. Because, again, two of them are against teams you already beat on the road and you beat pretty badly, and now you get them at home. One of them, I mean, it is a tricky road environment, but I don't think Maryland's taking Penn State lightly. And the other is Michigan, and because it's at Xfinity Center, the dynamic of that game totally changes. There's no way Maryland plays that badly again. I mean, they could. Oh, and that's the game. That is the game that, like, Maryland's pulling out all the bells and whistles. Well, We've talked about Red... Because it's going to be a top five We've talked team. about Red Panda, some other stuff's going on in that game that we'll talk about later. Um, it's, the it's the Sunday afternoon game. It's Sunday at four. I don't know how yeah. the building isn't going to be filled to the rafters before tip-off. Yeah, there's there's no way. It's it, it, it like again, we talk about all the time. Xfinity Center is a great place to, and you all know this because you're Maryland fans. But even if you're not, you go to Xfinity Center for a big game. There's not much like it in college basketball. That Michigan game is going to give you the best example of it. That place is going to go nuts, and it's going to be fun. As I said, we you've covered we've covered games in that building when it's crazy. That's going to be another example. It's going to be so much fun. Can't wait. But they've also got two games before that. Uh, Ohio State, Maryland, again, beat them pretty solidly on the road. Now they come at home. Uh, they're not great. Maryland should be winning that game. I could easily see them you know, starting slowly like they did kind of in the first game. Uh, again, I think that's a pretty reasonable – I'm not going to assume they're going to win, but they should be thinking they can win. Tendon should be fine. It's a Saturday afternoon. There's no reason why people won't show up. And now after they've beaten a ranked team on the road, I think the, the vibe around the team is a lot better. And then Penn State on the road, I mean, again – it's going to be a weird place to play. Maryland hasn't played well there in the past. They've had a couple of really bad losses in that building, and they haven't played well against Penn State for whatever reason, but I don't think Maryland's taken Penn State lightly this time. No, I mean, I don't think they ever take them lightly. I think Penn State's just kind of tricky. I mean, we, we saw what happened when, when the two teams played earlier. Lamar Stevens is very good, and Penn State has a lot of really tough cards. And 
again, Maryland's had some weird history in that building. And Ohio State, that game too. Like, they're a pesky team very much on the bubble in need of a big win, and Maryland would be that win. So both of these teams are going to get – are going to give Maryland their best, best shot. And I think Maryland – can and probably should win both of them but you know it's not a given obviously no of course there's nothing nothing's given with maryland basketball nothing's seeing given happened, seeing what happened last night but i i think that going into this final stretch i don't know exactly the math on a top four but if maryland wins out i think they get it because if maryland wins out they're guaranteed top four okay because because michigan and michigan state obviously play each other twice wisconsin doesn't play anybody of note other than iowa purdue's got a pretty easy schedule so as long as they win out, they'll have a double buy. And if you had told Maryland fans this year they're getting a double buy in the Big Ten, no one's complaining. Also, I don't remember who compiled the Big Ten preseason poll this year. Another writer for the Athletic, I can't remember his name. Maybe it's better that we don't remember his name because he had them at 11th. So before, in before freezing cold takes gets to you, you might just want to admit you were wrong there and take the embarrassment yourself rather than having somebody embarrass you on your own. Mm. Yeah. Remember when everyone was super high in Indiana too? Yeah, uh, we'll we'll get to that in another podcast because that's a whole other thing entirely. But it, it, I mean, maybe it's like Maryland doesn't get a chance to laugh at you know UNC and Duke because they're always pretty good. But Indiana is that blue blood of the Big Ten, and to see them be this bad is hilarious. And they have Romeo Langford, so it's even more inexplicable. But we'll get to that another time. Don't want to get derailed on that discussion, although we all would like to. I'll start with Justin on the women, uh, because they also played Iowa, and that was a joke, and I'm talking about the foul calls, and I know Brenda Fries won't talk about this, I know the players don't really necessarily want to talk about it, but the officiating in that game was some of the worst officiating I've ever seen in any basketball game. The foul calls were 25-10 to 10 in favor of, Mar- of Iowa, had only 10, Maryland had 25. If that happened in a men's game, there would have been riots in the streets. You know, this is going to sound really bad, but I actually didn't watch this game. I had to work, I, so I followed along once I was done. But I do agree that, yes, especially if this was a men's game, our site would have gone ballistic. But it kind of didn't surprise me that foul disparity was the way it was because, you know, Locus is Big Ten officiating. They sometimes just decide to stop calling fouls for stretches of games, and it was usually a pretty big home road disparity and also yeah, it doesn't like surprise you as much this is not a home road disparity that could happen in almost any environment if this game it's, was played at xfinity center the foul disparity would have been minus 15 no but i do think i'd have to go back i know the penn state and wisconsin games maryland at xfinity center this maryland made a pretty good living at the line where penn state did not and Wisconsin did not because they're shooting so many threes. But in any case, the other reason doesn't surprise me that Iowa gets the foul advantage because look, Megan Gustafson is the best post player in America. She shoots 70% from the field. She's averaging, I think, like 27 points, 13 rebounds a game. Kind of like, I don't know, Tom's just going to remember this. You know, whenever Maryland played two years ago, you couldn't stop Brianna Jones for a full 40 minutes. She'd get her point she get a rebound she gets to the line you just get exhausted by the end of it i kind of think that's what happened where maryland got into some foul trouble in the first half and then she got exacerbated because gustafson is not 
I'm going to slow down. And yes, it's a disappointing loss. It wasn't completely surprising because this is, you know, Maryland's been around the top of the Big Ten since they've joined it. This has kind of been, this is kind of the year for Iowa with Gustafson and one of their point guards graduating. So I'm not completely surprised. I think it was their biggest game by over 4,000 in terms of attendance. So not completely surprising, a little disappointing, but I think if they, you know, play again in the Big Ten tournament, it could be a different story. But then again, maybe not because that'll be the third game in three days and you'd have to figure that would be the advantage for the best post player in college basketball. Although the foul calls wouldn't be the same way. Like, I was reading the comments, and our old friend Todd Carton was there, and it seemed like if a Maryland player looked at Megan Gustafson funny, there was a foul. And it's not like Maryland's a bad team in the post. They're one of the better rebounding teams in the country. Uh, as I said, I even was retweeted by a women's, a former women's player when I made the comment that the foul disparity, and I was watching that game and going, this is preposterous. This cannot happen in a real game, even, even if one team has the best post player in America. And... The reason why that games would happen like that against Penn State and Wisconsin is because Maryland's just more big, more physical, and just better teams. Maryland and Iowa are pretty even. There is a home court advantage for the Hawkeyes here, but even then, Thomas, 25 to 10, that's a joke. That's, that's embarrassing. That should not happen in any game of basketball on any level. And I've called games where one team has a decided advantage in size and I've never and that was at the D3 level and the foul disparity wasn't even like that so that was a a, a huge stain on what was otherwise a really good game agreed um it was it would have been interesting because Maryland made a run at the start of the fourth quarter to go yeah I mean they they took the lead briefly um they were down 10 pulled right ahead and you know i feel like i wonder how much we we talk about the officials or what the context of it is if if maryland still pulls that out well Um, it's as as, as we said we always talk about officiating when you're on the wrong side of a game but even even then it's like maryland we talk about the officiating with the men's game because jordan bohannon talked about it even though i thought there was some calls that Iowa got that Maryland got, but then again, we come in with Maryland flag colored glasses, but I don't know how you could come in with any colored glasses and say a 25 to 10 foul disparity is realistic. It's not correct. Correct. 25 to 18 is fine because if you have a big post player who's playing really well and Megan Gustafson is amazing, but even then 25 to 10 is not physically possible. And uh, I'm not going to comment on the what we'd say in soccer if officiating was that bad because it's 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 implying things that are not really good to imply. You can if you could ask me about that on Twitter at Matt's Music One if you want to hear what that comment is. But it's still I mean Iowa won by 13. That margin is misleading because of all the foul shots at the end of the game. Maryland hung around. As I said, if that game was played at Xfinity Center, Maryland probably wins it. I have almost no doubt that they're going to play again for the Big Ten title. But. I mean, it is a, it's a shame because if you win that game, then you have the Big Ten's completely in your hands. You've got one over on Iowa who, I mean, kind of needed to win that game for their own sake because of the way that program is. Uh, and it's a maybe that's the thing that gets Brendan Fries' team motivated when they inevitably play again in March in Indianapolis. I mean, maybe. I think another – I mean, one more big takeaway from that game is, is Kyla Charles, who – 
was one of 13, I think started 0 of 11. And she's been really consistent all year, except in the losses. In the three losses, coincidentally, they've been by far her worst games of the season. I don't think you can not be surprised co- by that at all. Yeah, it's not co- it's not coincidental at all. Um, and so she'll just need to bounce back. And, you know, as we're recording this, they play Thursday night against Minnesota, who at the start of the year was viewed as one of the other best teams in the league and still is one of the best teams in the league. They're receiving votes in the poll right now. That's... At home, it's it's going to be a much different game, and I I would expect to bounce back, but still needs one. And you know, with three games left, Maryland probably needs to win all three if it wants to share first place and have even a chance at the one seed, which Iowa kind of, Iowa has tiebreaker on now. Um, you know, I think Maryland's bounced back from defeat pretty well. Like they had an eight-game winning streak going into this game all by double digits, including the one over Rutgers that was, you know, totally payback from the first. Yeah, that was payback from the first time. And so when they when they lost to Rutgers, they won their next three. They didn't play great, but they won their next three. Then they lost to Michigan State on the road, and then they were okay against Penn State. Then they were all right against Ohio State, and then they started blowing people out. So maybe, like, you could think that they might be a little slow against Minnesota, but they'll probably still end up winning because it's at home. And other than – I mean, I'm, I'm not even completely sure they've even taken – you know, they even took that much of a step down for Iowa. Like, between, like as I said – Between Iowa's just probably the other best team in the league, and they were at home, and they had fishing on their side, and they had Megan Gustafson going off. And And, and – the most annoying PA announcer in the history of sports. I don't know if you were watching that game, but I noticed the PA announcer was exuberant, to say the least. Quite exuberant. To the point where it was a little annoying. That's, I guess, what you're supposed to be as a PA announcer. But, you know, I'm not exactly somebody who does that, but I noticed that PA announcer was a little bit kind of nuts. I don't know, maybe it's because it was the most important game in Iowa's women's basketball for years if you're an Iowa fan you can tell me about that if that's what it is like for this this PA announcer which is fine but it was just something noticeable because I've never watched much Iowa's women's basketball uh Minnesota at Purdue and then Illinois before the Big Ten tournament for the women think they're going to be all right I what was the ranking did they change because I wasn't looking at it they dropped all the way down to number eight wow stunning they're going to be all right (laughs) I think Brenda Fries' team is okay. They're in bracketology. They're still probably a three seed. If they win the Big Ten, they might get up to a two. They're going to have home games at College Park. So I don't think there's any almost any doubt about that, unless they completely collapse, which I don't think a Brenda Fries' team has done in almost ever. Uh, other sports, let's get to very briefly. We wanted to get to uh, other sports, but then I forgot that Josh Jackson committed. The basketball thing was just so crazy that we have to talk about this. Never has there been a big football story like this that's waited 43 minutes into the podcast, but that was just because Ty Neatly with Maryland Iowa officials. Thomas, let's get into this. This is such a fascinating development for this team because we had heard that they were interested in something like this. You know, they have two pretty decent quarterbacks, although Kasim Hill, now with the ACL and in the transfer portal, he obviously knew that something like this was on down the pike, and I don't see any way he comes back now. 
but Tyron Pigram's not that bad of a quarterback, and he's played really well when he's had his chances. They sign a four-star, and now they get a pretty highly touted guy from Virginia Tech who, while he was not hurt, Virginia Tech was regarded as one of the better teams in the country, and now he's coming to Maryland with potentially multiple years of eligibility. This is a really interesting move and makes the quarterback position for Maryland about as fascinating as it's been in years if you take the morbid injury history out of it. Oh, I mean, he's coming in with, with exactly two and maybe a third if something happens because he suffered his injury pretty early last season. It was against Old Dominion. Yeah, it was in the third game. So, like, maybe, possibly, don't even worry about that. At the moment, it's still a grad transfer with two years, which you almost never get. That's bizarre. But and hey, especially at the quarterback position. You know, well now, well now we saw with Justin Fields and what was the guy that went to Miami whose name I forget? Tate Martell. Thank Tathan, you. Tathan. Tathan Martell. What the hell? <laughs> what the hell? Uh, but even then, you know, to get somebody with like that with two years of eligibility left is crazy. But the the transfers for quarterbacks are now becoming a lot more common, and you not not necessarily have to sit out a year. But in terms of Josh, he's a great quarterback. He was starting quarterback for a very good ACC team that, you know, fell off. And you might argue that no one likes Justin Fuente, and I'll let Virginia Tech fans deal with that. But to get somebody like him to come in, it instantly raises the level of this team, even if I think Tyro Pigrams was a perfectly fine quarterback for this team regardless. Absolutely. And I think, you know, it's irresponsible to not make him compete because Pigram's shown a lot. And, you know, it, again, it seems like a pretty good fit for the system. Jackson is still at Virginia Tech right now. He'll come over after the semester, after he graduates. So it's still going to be Pigram in the spring. And then in the summer, you know, it'll be on Lejean and Josh Jackson to come in and catch up. And Jackson has the tools that he can almost definitely do that and Maybe Lejean does too, but it'll be an interesting, it'll be an interesting race. I think all three will realistically be a part of it. And beyond that, I mean, Maryland has at the moment, six quarterbacks on scholarship Hills in the portal. Maybe one of the other guys, Borgschlager, DeSue thinks, you know, I'm, it's so crowded here. I should go elsewhere maybe there's there's a long way to go for all of that um but this is the kind of move that if you can get a guy like josh jackson you go for it and mike locksley got him feels like that's a pretty good jalen hurts consolation prize to be honest with you yeah i mean if this is the consolation prize because he's got two years of this and and jackson i mean jalen hurts is alabama obviously and you want an alabama quarterback but you get two years of somebody like this he can't complain. So, Justin, now with uh, Josh, Josh Jackson in the fold, where do you see this quarterback situation uh, playing out? Because I would assume that Hill's going to probably transfer now. It's probably way too much ahead of him, and he could get a waiver for injury and have a couple more years of eligibility wherever he goes. I don't know necessarily whether somebody else is going to leave after that because with Maryland's quarterback history, and Mike Loxley would certainly know about this because he was the coach for some of those years on the offensive side. You want as many bodies as you possibly can. So where do you see this ending up now that we know that Maryland has a very highly rated transfer coming in? 
You know, it's funny right now. I honestly, I don't know. I think like Thomas said, going into the spring, you know, Pigram's going to have the advantage of getting a head start on the, on the playbook, you know, continuing to build a chemistry at last year with the young receiving course. So I think, you know, it will be his job to lose throughout the spring and, you know, it'll be interesting to see if Jackson and Lejean can, you know, catch up. And I think Jackson will give Pigram a run for his money just because of his success before. But I think right now, you know, Pigram is at the top of the depth chart just because, I mean, Kasim Hill is recovering. And I don't think anyone wants to see Max Bordenschlager start another game in Maryland. And, you know, Tyler DeSue didn't really see enough of him last year, but guys that young, and, you know, he wasn't a super highly tatted quarterback, so he's probably still pretty raw. In regards to how, I guess, the depth chart and, you know, the scholarships going forward works out, I mean, Hill is in the transfer portal, so would not be surprised when they see him leave. But he also, you know, I doubt, even if he does transfer and gets, you know, a waiver to be immediately eligible, that he's going to play this year just because of, when he got hurt last year and he may make the decision to transfer not just about playing but is there somewhere i can then play and you know has a better reputation for recovery i think that could be something that could factor in in regards to the other guys i know pigram put his name in the transfer portal during the season so that could be something to watch if he loses the job again and then wharton schlager he only played four games this year before having ankle surgery so with the experience he had starting his sophomore year, it wouldn't be surprising to see him, you know, eventually try to take a grad transfer year somewhere else. And one last thing in regards to Josh Jackson. Yes, he did have that successful freshman year, but I think it's going to be tougher for him, the Big Ten. I mean, the ACC is Clemson, and then who else has really done anything? Well, let's be honest. You know, good as of late. Clemson very often, so. No, yeah, yeah, that's that's what I'm saying is now, you know, he's going to have to play Penn State. Michigan, Ohio State, Michigan State, teams that have kind of mauled Maryland up front. And I don't know if that's the case at Virginia Tech where he's playing against at least that level of talent up front that's going to make his life more difficult. Yeah, there is definitely that. And Maryland's offensive line could be dicey. But I I think that just to get somebody like that in the fold, Thomas, it, it speaks to how good Mike Loxley is at this recruiting thing. I know that recruiting rankings don't include transfers, but if you included his transfers in to this program in the recruiting class, Maryland would perhaps be in the top 20. Like, it's crazy how good he's made this team in such little lead-up time and how many good players he's convinced to come to this program. Even though he swung out, you know, on a couple of big fish and missed, the, the consolation prize ain't too bad. It's almost like, you know, with the recent basketball recruiting class. They went for all the big fish and missed, but it's not like Maryland's in a bad position. It's kind of the same way right now with Mike Loxley. Yeah, I mean, and in, in football, it's a, it's a little bit more linear how, how the first option is all usually preferable. Like, you'd still probably rather have Jalen Hurts than Josh Jackson. but And then in basketball, missing on these one-and-done guys to get three, four-year guys who are slightly lower rated, but are still impact players right away. And anyway, the, the point of this is, yeah, I mean, Loxley is about a month ago. We were kind of not really sure where, what he was doing. You know, he didn't have a full staff yet. He had missed on Hertz. He had missed on Gaddis. 
he had Butch Jones for a month, and then Butch Jones disappeared. And he's not even an actual coach for Alabama. Now, that might be because they want to stick it to Tennessee, because in the SEC, of course, it just means more. But still. Yeah, and he missed on a couple different guys for defensive coordinator. So we weren't really sure, but he kind of just kept plugging away. I think, you know, I still think the staff he hired was pretty good. And the recruiting, recruiting kind of builds on itself. The more exciting players decide to join a program, the more other recruits say, hey, I, you know, I kind of want to be a part of that too. Um, but to, in the span of two weeks, get Lejean and then Nick Cross and then Josh Jackson, it's hard not to be excited. And don't forget Keandre Jones and Son Savoy too. Yeah. It's absolutely crazy what he's been able to do with, again, no lead-up time. And there is another recruit that came in, Juco defensive end. Is that right, Thomas? So it's uh, Mitchell Agude, I believe, outside linebacker. He's he's an interesting uh, prospect. He's 6'5", 215. So, you know, he should be a pretty solid pass rusher, but I'm not really sure what Maryland's defense is going to look like and how it's going to, you know, have that role. They won't have the buck position, which is, although I think actually they they have a similar position that they're now calling the Jack. They had a guy in, in this year's recruiting class. I can't remember who, who they listed as a, as a Jack. And I believe it's the same position. Um, we'll learn so they may... what, that, what that is as time goes on. Although Jack sounds a lot cooler than buck as just positions, but yeah, I mean, different schemes just give different names to these positions. I don't well, know. I could say that, but it's the same kind of thing. This new scheme is not going to uh, have two linebackers. That's for sure. Correct. It'll have three, maybe four, I think. Much more different position. But again, that's just Mike Law. He'll pop out another crazy transfer recruit at some point in the next couple of days. You just or weeks. You know that's what he's mm-hmm. going to do at this point. Yeah. So I was I was looking a while ago. I think. We might have discussed this briefly on the last podcast, but I think right now we're looking at 86, 87 scholarships almost. And that's with a couple guys who were on last year's team who I think want to be on next year's team and we're, we're impact players. So there will be some attrition. I don't know exactly where it's going to come from. It's totally reasonable to expect probably a quarterback to leave. Wide receiver is a spot where you look at and you think a couple guys could, could head out, but It'll be interesting to see how it plays out, um, you know, because Loxley has made enough additions in the last few weeks that, you know, now Maryland is actually in sort of a surplus. Yes, they're in actually good shape in terms of players, which is amazing to think because it's Maryland football, and it is not that long until they play Howard opening weekend. Are you actually excited about that? Because I'm starting to get excited, and that's a dangerous emotion. I should not be excited about that. Okay, others. I'm not there yet. I'm not there yet. We'll get there. We'll get there probably by by June when we hear, you know, maybe June when we think about it more. And then in August when, you know, we're actually allowed to see practice this year as opposed to last year. And that was for good reason. Uh, other sports, there were other sports things that happened at Maryland. Lacrosse played two games. One of them, they won by a lot. The other was in overtime and shouldn't have been that close. I think that's the men's lacrosse MO this year. The games are closer than they should be. Well, at least for the, the first couple of games, they had a few fourth quarter collapses. And even in this one, they didn't play that well in the second half. I think they got outscored in the second half. But Colgate's a good team, beat Syracuse earlier this year. 
And Maryland just took it to him and was up 9-3 at halftime, kind of cruised through the second half. Jared Bernhardt and Logan Wisnowskis have pretty much dominated everyone they've played this year. And there's no reason to think they can't keep a lot of that momentum going going forward. Mm-hmm. So that's men's lacrosse. Women's lacrosse did women's lacrosse things again. Yep, just your, your uh, casual beat top five team on the road, hang out at Disney World, and then come back home. That's what they do. Yep. And that's who they play next. North Carolina. Exactly. Of course they do. It's really funny how the lacrosse teams still play North Carolina every year, but they won't play Duke unless it's a tournament game. Does Coach K really have that much power that Maryland can't schedule Duke in anything? No Duke in women's lacrosse isn't as good. But even then, you can't even schedule them. It just wouldn't happen. I, I don't know. I know women's lacrosse schedules Virginia, but I really don't know. It's, it's, it's funny. Maybe, maybe Coach K's actually the athletic director at Duke. I don't know, because the men's team plays Notre Dame, too, every year. But I think that's more because Tillman likes to test his team with a tough defensive opponent. But yes, I don't know. It is kind of weird. Again, they don't play Duke unless it's a tournament. Soccer doesn't play Duke. It's it's just weird. It's a funny coincidence. And Field hockey plays, plays Duke. That's a oh, – oh, Field hockey really? is the hole in this theory. The hole in this theory. But does Mike Krzyzewski even know much about the Duke field hockey team? I bet he does, but for the sake of this argument, <laughs> let's assume he doesn't. Okay. Let's assume he doesn't for the sake of this argument, because that would be funnier. But again, Maryland can't schedule Duke in anything, particularly the sport we all want to see them play Duke in, and it will never happen. Uh, other sports we're playing. Baseball season has started. Yes. Yes, baseball season started. Uh, they don't look great, but they have a win. Yeah, good. Soft softball. I didn't watch any of this, but they look better, like a lot better. It, I mean, it's a young team that they they got hits and they pitched well over the weekend, and that's how you win games. They went four and one against not not the strongest schedule you'll ever see, but wins are wins, and there haven't been a lot of them in the last few years for Maryland softball. So they're now six and four. That's so nice, that's uh, nice development. Trending upward. Maryland wrestling got a win in a dual meet which that's the first time we've said that this year. Yeah, it's been rough for wrestling this year. It has. It's unfortunate. Mm. So sad for wrestling. Is that it? Did I miss it? Uh, that's most of it. I mean, you know, there are a few other sports like gymnastics, women's golf. They're, do- they're doing okay things, but they're not anywhere near tournament time yet. Gymnastics should probably make the NCAAs. Women's golf, kind of unclear. Men's golf was good last weekend. I don't think they played this past weekend. Very good. And it's hard to keep track of all this sometimes when you're, you're very much focused on the, 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 what were you doing in January of 2008, the last time Maryland won a game on the road at a ranked team? It's also, yeah. It's also amazing to think I was pretending that, to do homework. It was also probably. amazing to think that it was 2001. That, well, 2000, 2001. Well, that's actually funny comment. Somebody, when I posted that on Twitter last night, that it's the first time Maryland won since I was in middle school, somebody said Duke in 2001. And I, I've since deleted that tweet because it wasn't, it wasn't necessarily the best tweet, but I, when I saw that, I laughed hysterically. 
And, like, this person thinks I'm a lot older than I actually am. When I yeah. said at one of the games, John Gilchrist was the honorary captain, I tweeted he was the first Maryland player I remember, and someone asked if I was 12. So, you know, just oh. another story like that. I, I, don't think, I don't think many people actually can gauge ages properly, even though for many years when I was a Maryland student, I had Maryland student in my Twitter tag, but whatever. Also, it's Duke and North Carolina tonight, so... By celebrating, I'm not going to watch the ESPN production. I'm going to watch it on the Raycom stream, as you should watch a Duke-North Carolina game. By the Hell way, yeah. you know the Raycom forever. is going away at the end of this basketball season. I know, I'm sad. Just, Raycom forever. ACC Network. Well, they're calling it Raycom time. now because you can't call it the ACC Network when ESPN's about to start it, but it was always been produced by Raycom. So uh, pour one out for our friends at the Bojangles Network. I'm going to miss uh, it. With everything sponsored by your Carolina Ford stores because oh, yeah. we all missed that. There are some great memories of Maryland on Raycom in the past, or Jefferson Pilot Sports, whatever it was. And then we graduated Cliff, to the Big Ten. Cliff Tucker. Yeah, Tim Brandt calling games. The people that call know, games for Raycom do not call basketball games in college basically anywhere else. It's hilarious. Yeah. Is Vital doing the game tonight? Do we know? Because I think that Dick Vitale, Zion Williamson, is the first time I've decided to hit the want to hit the mute button for no, Dick Vitale it's, it's game. Okay, good, because Vitale and Zion Williamson is kind of painful to listen to. Well, that is until Bruno Fernando dunks on him in the NCAA tournament. I kind of think Duke would run Maryland out of the building by halftime. I, I think it would but... probably happen too, but just, just the idea of it happening is still something that yeah, I think we all want yeah. to see. Because you go in with no expectation that if Maryland beats them, then the entire town of College Park is in a party for about a month. I, I'm not paying attention to bracketology, but just the idea of it. I hope, I hope they put Maryland in the, in the D.C. region just by accident. For, for, the, for the sake of giving the six seed or the five seed the best home court advantage in a regional where that usually goes to the one seed, that would just be hilarious, but obviously it won't happen. Anyway... This, this podcast went over now. All the podcasts recently have been very long ones because there's been so much to talk about. But thank you very much for listening. We will be back with you the start of March. Can't believe it's already March. And if you post the John Rothstein quote or whoever the hell posts that this is March crap on Twitter, I'm muting you if you do it. All right? We're not doing this anymore. That joke is old. Until then, of course, go Terps.